Uh, I actually was laughing there. Uh, we were uh, singing the the old rugged cross about uh, a month ago. I try and get up before the kids, and uh, I just have a little uh, quiet time every morning. Um, and one morning, I just felt like just worshiping, and and so I went to the Alexa and I said, um, Alexa, play the old rugged cross. And bear in mind, when you say that to Alexi, and if you don't specify who you want it sang by, it'll just choose the first old rugged cross that it finds. And uh, it was by Foster and Alan. And so I was thinking, it's 20, I think it was a Thursday morning, I remember thinking this quite deeply at the time. I was thinking, it's 20 to 8 on a Thursday morning, and I'm listening to Foster and Alan. I have definitely entered middle age. <laughs> I was thinking, hang on, I'm, so, just a funny anecdote to start with. Uh, but yeah, thank you for having me. Like I say, uh, my name is uh, Robbie and I'm here with Louise and my four boys this morning. Um, now, I am preaching on 1 Corinthians uh, this morning, but just one verse that I just really want to touch on before, and I say it every time I preach, and I make a point of saying this, and it's from Romans 1 verse 12. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but um, it's just something Paul says uh, when he's writing to the Romans. And bear in mind, he hasn't visited them yet. Uh, oh, sorry, apologies for my voice this morning as well. I've had a really bad cold this week, so I've been just struggling a bit. Um, he says, uh, so he actually starts in verse 11. He says, I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And I, if you actually think about that, Paul, right, we, 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 we sort of have him as this super Christian, like, super, if he's a Christian, he's, super, he's a superman of Christians. Now, he's writing that he uh, wants the Romans to be encouraged by him, but he's saying that actually he needs to be encouraged by them as well. I was thinking, if Paul, a man who wrote three quarters of the New Testament, needs to be encouraged, then we need to be encouraged. I need to be encouraged. And so my prayer this morning is that, yeah, I will be encouraged by you guys. I already am, but I love, love the worship. Like I said, the old rugged cross, I love that song. And, and that you'll be encouraged by me, that it'll be a two-way thing. And, and, and if the pandemic has shown us one thing, it is that we, we need each other, don't we? We really need... There's, not, there's nothing worse than being a lone ranger in the Christian faith. You need encouragement. I've been praying specifically this week, actually, that... God would put other men around me to encourage me in my faith. And so, yeah, it's really something that's close to my heart. And when I preach, I really hope that this morning um, we are encouraged for each other. Um, so, yeah, if you want to turn to one, back to 1 Corinthians, sorry, after Matthew telling you to go there and I've took you to Romans. Um, if we look at um, chapter 1, and we're looking at verses 18 to 31. Um, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God for it is written I will destroy the wisdom of the wise the intelligence of the intelligence I will frustrate where is the wise man where is the scholar where is the philosopher of the world for since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God 
and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one, no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become to us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Father, just before... Here we look into this this morning. I just pray, Father, that um, everything will point to Christ this morning. Father, I just pray you'll take away any nerves or anything in me that, Lord, uh, seeks any any pride from this, Lord. That all, all, all we look at this morning, Lord, will bring glory to Jesus. May you speak to us and encourage us, Father, we ask in your wonderful name. Amen. So... We've just got back from spring harvest uh, in over in Skegness. Uh, the weather was awful, uh, but yeah, it was a great, great week and uh, really good. Just being there, receiving some teaching, and we were we were really uh, like sad to leave in the end. It was just great just being around people who love Jesus. It was encouraging, like I just spoke about. And one of the themes of the week was it was actually called flipped. It was talking about it was, it was looking at Matthew twenty and it was talking about like the upside downness of, of God's kingdom, how God does things, just very different to how how humans do things. And uh, it's something I've been a Christian twenty years now. I still struggle. I think like God's how vast, how great God is. All the things He's got at His disposal, and yet He chooses to use small things to 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 promote His kingdom and to, for His kingdom to run. Um, and one of the great passages in the New Testament we see is one we've just looked at uh, where Paul writes to the Corinthians now remember the Corinthians were a church in a bit of a mess there was all sorts going all sorts of sin going on there and they needed I think if I was writing to the Corinthians it would have been a strong rebuke like said similar to what Paul writes to the Galatians but Paul actually what he's trying to, what he tries to do he sees that the problem in the church is pride that's what he tries to do he's trying to cut pride down the truth by showing the folly of human wisdom versus this is God's wisdom. Um, and so, um, yeah, so just looking at the first four verses there uh, of the passage, um, Paul starts, uh, again, I, I know if it was me, I probably wouldn't go down this road, but this is, the, this is the, how, how God worked. He starts by saying the preaching of the cross is foolishness. Now imagine you're trying to sell something to someone, you're saying, by the way, this, this method I'm going to go down, it's really foolish. I can't imagine many people would be taken in by that. I imagine we're going to go, well, okay, yeah, let's, do, let's go down the foolish route. And yet Paul here is, is starting by saying that the preaching of the cross is foolish by the world's standards. And this is the Lord's way, uh, the foolishness of the preaching of the cross. Paul is not using wonderful techniques, worldly wisdom, eloquence, or intelligence, although Paul himself was an intelligent man, um, or the philosophy, which is a major feature of Paul's day. No, he was using the preaching of the cross, the foolishness of the preaching of the cross. Now that was over 2,000 years ago. Uh, I'm sure tonight, if you want to switch on your TV or go on the internet for a few hours, you can see that the, the way our world, the, the things you could use in our world, you've got music, your TV, the, the, the vastness of the internet, you know, all, all that advertising, everything. 
that we could use uh, to promote God. And, and I guess there is in that something people do use the internet and, and TV for God. But actually, 2,000 years after Paul has said the foolishness of the cross, we're still using this old foolish method, the preaching of the cross. That's the method then, and that's still the method now. Um, the church that is faithful to scripture is stuck with a method that looked foolish 2,000 years ago. I mean, that in itself, you think, that is crazy. But that's the method that God used. That method is called preaching. That's what Paul's talking about here. It's no tricks, no stunts, no virtual reality experience, just plain old preaching. And it's a method we as a church have to remain faithful to. It's a method we have no right, authority, or mandate to change. I know we started at verse 18, but if you just go back one verse, um, there's a guy I know who lives in London. He's a, he's a guy I have massive respect for. He's an evangelist, he's a street evangelist in London. And uh, this is his mantra for life. Uh, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. And that last bit of that verse is a chilling warning to us, isn't it? Not to mess with the message of the cross. Um, once we take away from the gospel, once we add to the gospel, once we, once we tamper it in any way, what do we do? We, we rob it of its power. We rob the gospel of its power when we do that. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I've got nothing against contextualising the gospel. So, you, you know, for different audiences, you might use a different word. Paul certainly did that. You know, when he was in Athens, he didn't preach the same message that he, he was preaching in the synagogues. Sorry, he did preach the same message, but he, he, he would adapt that message to his audience. So I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the actual message of the gospel cannot be tampered with. Um, proclaiming what God has done in Christ and then relying on the Holy Spirit to use that to change people's lives. The power of that comes with the pro proclamation of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. Now, as a recruitment strategy in our world and in Paul's world, people would say it's absurd, it's foolishness. And yet that is how God saved the people in the Corinthian church and how God has saved everyone since anyone who sat here saved, was saved this way. Foolishness to the world, but wise to God. So the method, the preaching is foolish, but what about the message? But that's foolish too. <laughs> if we move on to um, um, verse 22. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's wisdom. Jews were desperate for signs that would accompany the Messiah, just like people today are desperate for religious experiences and miracles and healings. Now, I, I contend that from the scriptures and from church history that God still does perform miracles and healings today. But if you're sitting there thinking, if I could only see a miracle, if I could only see this, then I would truly believe 
I would, con- I would contend you the the book is full of people who would who see miracles and did nothing with them. They even benefited from them and did nothing with them. Um, and for Greeks, there was just the, the idea of a crucified Messiah was lunacy to them. They were the people uh, who uh, prized science or reason. We, we still have our modern-day Greeks now, don't we? People who will use plausible arguments to thwart God's purposes or to oppose God. And they, it's really um, it's really tempting sometimes when the, the arguments are forward, put forward in such a way that you can see how it draws people in. But they're opposite to God. I mean, one of the ones I was thinking of when I was putting this together is the lie of pro- progressivism. Apparently, we've progressed that you know as, as a human race that we, you know that we that, that the Bible's outdated. We can't believe that anymore. We can't believe that some of the things that it says in there can be can can be relevant to today. Even if you look at like how marriage is being redefined and stuff like that, the lie of, of the the age that we live in is that God is wrong. And that we're humans are right, but it's gone quite negative so far. I, I, I would admit that in terms of how I'm preaching. But here's the here's the positive side of it: those who are called and hear this ridiculous, scandalous message about this perfect man dying for imperfect humans, it turns out to be both God's power and God's wisdom. And the most ridiculous thing God has ever done is smarter than the cleverest thing humanity has ever come up with. Don't discount the power of a testimony. Um, for all of us, it's different. Um, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, sorry, I've forgotten his name. Um, no, uh, the guy who's the slave trader, sorry, it's, it's gone. Uh, anyway, don't worry about that. The, the, the point being... Newton? Newton, yeah. John Newton, sorry, yeah. Um, he, he, he had this thing saying, no two Christian testimonies are the same. Uh, and that's like us. And, but the te- our testimonies might be that I used to do this and now I do this. I used to steal and now I don't steal. I used to lie and now I don't. I used to cheat and now I don't cheat. And that's how it works out in our lives. But actually, our testimony in where it's all the same is that all of us were once unrighteous, far away, alienated from God, facing an eternity in, in a place called hell, far from Christ and lost. <coughs> And yet, God in his mercy opened our eyes through the power of the preaching of the gospel and saved us, rescued us. Um, he rescued us from an eternity, yeah, separated from him. So, if we move on. Uh, Paul is not finished yet on his foolishness uh, rant. Uh, verses 26 to 29. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast in Christ Jesus. So... There are some verses in scripture that you really cling to. I always think of Romans 8 verse 1, like we no condemnation uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 28 about God, you know, um, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. You've got John 1 12, you've got um, one where Jesus says, you know, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, which apparently in the Hebrew is not, it doesn't even say, it says, I'll never, ever, never, no, not ever. 
these verses that you cling to, I think these verses here for me are ones I really cling to. That God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Chose the lowly things of the world. Um, he chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Uh, I don't know about anyone else in here, but um, was anyone here like a big mover and shaker, high-flying city mover when they got saved? Anyone high up in the world, by worldly standards, seen as something really important? No? I know I certainly wasn't. Um, this verse, by the way, what I think just to be completely honest, so we're being true to Scripture, that it doesn't say rich people can't be saved, it doesn't say successful people can't be saved. But generally, in the main God's main way of doing things is through the poor and through the lowly. You look at most of the revivals that have happened down the years. Certainly, the Corinthian church was a poor church when revival broke out there. So it's not saying God can't save rich people. I think we just have to. I think I just need to put that in, uh, just for for balance. What he's saying is that uh, we were lowly and we were on our knees when He saved us. Um, But when we were lowly and when we were lowly, when we had nothing to bring to the table, he did save us anyway. And that blows my mind. The, the, the temptation as you grow as a Christian is to think that somehow you have to meet some sort of intellectual standard or, or some sort of... So, so, yeah, just... I know I had a spell when, when I first got saved and grasp of the gospel wasn't, obviously wasn't that great. It was very new. I remember thinking... This is... You'll laugh when you hear this. I remember thinking... If I could just, I was going to a church over on the Wibble, and it was quite a small church, friendly, middle class, very, very yeah, like in a decent area. And I remember thinking, if I could just become middle class and respectable like these people here, then God would accept me. That was what I used to think generally. I mean, it's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. God accepts me through my union with Christ and what he did, his life, his death, his resurrection, and, the, and his promises for his second coming. Um, and so I'd say to you this morning to stop you feeling discouraged are you feeling unwise and foolish then you just qualified to become a member of the kingdom of God you think of Chuck Colson you know a man who was implicated in the Watergate scandal his life was in tatters he was in prison probably classed one of the most evil men on earth heard the preaching of the gospel in prison his life was transformed and he became one of the most a prominent evangelist of the 20th century. Um, are you feeling weak and welcoming? Welcome into our world. Because as Christians, we are one of the things we have to acknowledge is we are weak. We do need God. And there's countless testimonies, both people inside the Bible, outside the Bible, who were weak, who changed the world for Christ. Are you feeling uneducated or unprepared? I know that's how I, I, I definitely, like I said before, definitely feel like as a Christian sometimes that. I'm just not clever enough to be able to preach to people. Well, welcome to Dwight Moody or D.L. Moody, as some of you might know. A man who evangelised to a third of the, of the known world, apparently evangelised to the royal family, and yet he received no education whatsoever. God chose the lowly, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Imagine if you were his teacher thinking, well, there's that DL move. Well, he didn't have a teacher because he, you know, he didn't receive an education. Sorry, I've just lost my page. Um, I really want to encourage you with that this morning, just that God will use you 
in spite of your flaws. Um, when we were at Spring Harvest and I heard this message, I was thinking of you guys, and I thought, I cannot plagiarise this message, surely. <laughs> no, I was just thinking, like, how it, I knew I was coming to preach here, and, and just you kept coming to mind when, when, I, was, when I was thinking of, of what they, they were preaching. Uh, and let's be honest, you're a small church in a, in a, in a small area, in what is a rel- on the outskirts of Wallet is a relatively small city. Liverpool's not a big city. The temptation is to think that the work you do here is small. When you're feeling discouraged, sorry, what I would say is the temptation is to think that the work you're doing here is small. Become discouraged and to think that it's just insignificant and it doesn't make any difference. The aim of my talk this morning is, yeah, you will not be discouraged. In God's upside-down world, it is through small local churches like this that he chooses to plant his kingdom, to plant colonies everywhere. I think I was reading recently that in America, 43% of churches have less than 50 people in the congregation. Now, I'm not saying there's no place for mega churches, but it is generally God's small churches that he uses to plant his kingdom. And so my message this morning to you guys is keep going. Keep going. It's through the foolishness, the smallness of what you're doing, that God is doing big things. Yes, we plead for God for revival in this area. Of course we want more people in it. We want as many people as we can possibly handle to be saved. But God is in charge of the growth. You guys are called to be faithful to the message. Faithful to the method. And faithful to each other, faithful to his word, and faithful to the preaching of the cross. Further on in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and they appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. As other sections of the church have tried to become more relevant, to tamper with the message, tamper with God's word, keep these, keep this scripture in your mind. This is of what's first importance. A distorted view of Jesus, a distorted Jesus will save nobody. May I plead you this morning to be faithful to the calling you guys have been given here in Croxteth. And then finally, why? Does God do it this way? Why doesn't he just like rain down like miracles and, and, and I don't know, lightning bolt flashes to do it? Why doesn't he do it the way I think I probably would do it? <laughs> the, the razzmatazz way. Why? Well, brilliantly, this passage tells us twice. So that no one may boast before him. And that therefore, as it is written later on, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. God is for God. He demands all the glory and honour for himself. This is why he does it this way. So that, so that I won't get the glory, because I don't deserve it. So that you won't get the glory. So that only Jesus will get the glory. My life has been completely transformed from what it was through, through Jesus. But the moment I start saying... I did this, and look at me. I am on very, very dangerous ground. We should do what the Holy Spirit does. Point to Jesus. Point to the cross. He deserves all the glory. He deserves all the honour. No one may boast in his presence.
None of us can sit here and boast about our salvation. It was only gifted to us. And even the whole process was started and initiated by God so that he gets all the glory. And if you're here today and you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, um, please don't miss this opportunity. One thing we, I can't promise you, no one can promise you, is that it's, it's tomorrow. Only the promises that Jesus makes today. So if you want to come and speak to me at the end or speak to Matthew or Eddie or any of the, the elders here, then, then, then do so. I have many regrets in life, but the day I chose to follow Jesus is one day I will never regret. Uh, hope you do the same so thank you for listening to me this morning feel free to come and speak to me at the end if there's something you disagree with definitely come and speak to me I, I'm learning all the time but yeah, yeah I just pray you'd really be encouraged this morning in Christ that yeah if you're preaching the cross then you're going down you're on the right path as 99.9% of the world is going in the opposite direction you're swimming against the tide but you're going in the right direction but I don't know pray Lord, I just thank you uh, for the message of the cross, that Jesus gets all the glory, Jesus gets all the praise that he deserves. And Lord, I just pray for this church that it will be a beacon of light in this area, Lord, and that many souls will be saved, Lord. Father, su surprise us by who you save in this area, Lord. Father, we, we thank you for your word and for your goodness and your faithfulness to your promises. In Jesus' mighty, all-conquering name,